Epiphany Anglican Fellowship in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Welcome to Learning with the Lion, a community read-through of the Gospel of Mark. Over the summer of 2023, members of the Ligonier community are coming together to walk through a 13-week exploration of Jesus' life, practicing reading the Bible together and asking what it means for everyday life. For more information, visit epiphanyligonier.org mark, where you can also sign up for our companion e-newsletter. Uh, this morning's sermon is brought to you by Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss, specifically his lesser-known, not-very-good 1958 sequel to The Cat in the Hat. Did you guys know The Cat in the Hat had a sequel back in 1958? It's called The Cat in the Hat Comes Back, and there are more shenanigans to be had with the cat and the young family that he torments so joyfully. And it gets to the crux of our reading today because it's going to ask a question of how do you make something clean? Because The Cat in the Hat 2 is about a big, gross, pink stain that the cat in the hat lives, uh, left in the family bathtub. He took a bath and he ate cake at the same time, and now there is pink, uh, a pink stain, like an iron stain of sorts, on the bathtub. And the kids can't get it off, and they're terrified. What will my mother think? I can't get the stain off of the bathtub. And the cat says, oh, I can, I can get it off, no problems. And he reaches over and he takes the mother's white dress and he just starts scrubbing the tub with the mother's white dress. And I can feel the anxiety rising. You're like, oh, no. And the kids say, oh, no, it's my mother's dress. And he scrubs and says, look, look, it's off the tub. But now the stain is on the dress. And the kid says, that's even worse. The stain is on the dress. And the cat says, okay, okay, I've got this. And he takes the dress and he rubs it on the wall. He rubs the dress on the wall. But the stain's on the wall now. The dress is fine. It's, there's no stain on the dress, but now the stain is on the wall. And the kids go, no, it's on the wall. We have to get rid of it. We can't just keep moving it. And the cat says, no, I can do this. And he goes and he, he grabs the father's shoes. And he goes up and he starts scrubbing the, shoe, the wall with the shoes. And he's scrubbing the wall. And the kids go, no, those are dad's expensive shoes. And so it goes. It goes from the shoes to the rug to the rug to the bedspread to the bread spread, to the TV, from the TV to a frying pan, from a frying pan to a fan. The stain will not go away. It keeps moving from item to item. And he can't, the cat's trying hard and the kids are panicking. They're thinking, what will our parents think when they get home? And the stain can't be gotten rid of. They're trying as hard as they can to make it clean again. But they, no matter what they do, they can't figure it out. So how do they end up getting rid of this stain? Well, I will tell you at the end of the sermon today because it turns out it's a lot harder than it looks and um, it's going to help us understand a little bit more about the world we live in. It's going to help us understand um, the Bible's understanding of clean and unclean and ultimately it's going to help us understand the gospel better. And so that's Dr. Seuss, and I promise I'm getting to the Bible because we are going through a summer series right now through the Gospel of Mark. We're going through a summer series, and and it's one of three parts. We have Mark the Sermon on Sundays, of course. We we pick one part of the Mark reading and and go through it and give it a deep dive. But then on Mondays, we have an email that goes out to everyone, and everyone gets a chance to sort of, here's a passage we're all going to read this week, and here's what you're going to read in the passage, a guide, a commentary of sorts. 
And then every Wednesday, there's a podcast episode through our church's sermon podcast feed, and it comes out, and it's hints and tips and tricks for how to understand the Bible and how to read it. Well, um, today, I want to lean in towards the story of the leper being healed in our reading. Um, If you've kept up from the series, you know about some of the other things. We've commented on some of the other things, like, um, for example, why Jesus tells people not to say anything after he heals them or drives out demons. Right? That's, we've, we've talked about that there, or why um, Jesus has this authority, this kingly authority, that he's so powerful he can command the demons, but he can also cast out sickness and disease. I mean, none of us has that kind of authority. And so today, because we've covered so many of these other things, I want to dive into the leper. I want to talk about this leper in our reading, the man with the skin condition. And to do so, I want to, I want to talk about three different things um, to help us understand, three bits of context. First, we'll talk about leprosy. In the Bible, leprosy was not exactly what we now call Hansen's disease. Uh, in the Bible, leprosy was a, this catch-all term for a number of different skin illnesses and ailments. So it, it could be anything from like a burn that had gotten infected. It could be a boil. It could be... Uh, any number of things that would be uh, something on your skin, that would blemish the skin, and that would make you what the Bible calls unclean. Um, and so what we have in this morning, right, is, is a man who comes and has leprosy. We don't know exactly what his condition is. It could be a rash. It could be some sort of uh, eczema, some sort of serious skin condition that has marked him as unclean. So that's the first thing I want to let you know, is that it may not be leprosy exactly, it could be some other skin condition, but this skin condition, what it does is it makes him unclean. Now, what does it mean to be unclean? Well, what it means to be unclean is, is there's this Old Testament idea that um, certain skin conditions, but not just skin conditions, uh, certain other health ailments, certain other bodily functions, uh, these were things that made you ceremonially, ritually unclean. And, and what that meant was is that uh, if you were unclean, you needed to sort of separate yourself from everybody else until you had a chance to wash up and become clean again. Some of this was public health related, right? If you were sick, right, and you could visibly see someone was sick with a skin condition that was contagious, well, you'd want to them to quarantine for a season, right? Make sure they weren't contagious, make sure they had healed up, and then they could be brought back into the community. But it wasn't all that. For example, um, if someone was uh, uh, working, they had a family member who died and they touched a dead body, that made them unclean. Uh, There were other foods that could be eaten that would make them unclean as well. So it wasn't just the public health element. What God does when he gives the people of Israel his laws, he wants them to live this sort of vision of heaven on earth. And uh, when when you have heaven on earth, there is no um, sickness or death or anything like that. And so Israel becomes this vision of heaven. And for folks who um, have these bodily issues or these, these conditions where they're unclean, they remove themselves from that image of a pure and holy kingdom to, to clean up again so that they can return into it. So there's more going on than public health, but public health is a part of it. Um, and the idea was once this person, if they have a skin condition, once it clears up, once it heals, they can return to the community. So that's the second thing. We have a man with a skin condition. We have a a law of ceremonial uncleanliness, but here's the third thing. 
What do you do with those people who are unclean and their condition doesn't heal? What happens when someone has this permanent uh, affliction, right? This contagious disease, for example, that is very slow acting and they end up spending days, months, years apart from the community. Um, this wasn't just Israel, this was everybody. If you had some sort of illness that made you dangerous, unclean, whatever you want to call it, you were removed from greater society until you got better. And if you didn't get better, you didn't get reintegrated into society. And so in the ancient world, not just Israel, there were people who were social outcasts, pariahs. They weren't welcome into polite society or any society for that matter because they were unclean. Um, even in the law of Moses, there were rules about this. If you were in that position where you were unclean and you were healing from a skin condition, you had to tear your clothes so people could see from a distance up oh, his clothes are torn. Um, you, you didn't cut your hair. You let your hair grow out and get all knotted and tangled up so people could see, oh, torn shirt and, and, and hair tangled up. Someone with a skin condition need to avoid them. And on top of all of that, you have... Um, uh, this law that says if, uh, let's say someone doesn't get the hint and they come close, the person who is unclean has the responsibility to say, hey, I'm unclean, I've got a thing going on right now, keep your distance. And so you have this, this, this isolation that can come for some people that isolates them from the, the greater society. And it's hard and it's crushing, but at the same time they recognize they don't want to pass this disease on to anybody else. And so you have a sort of community of people who are, are, again, it doesn't happen all the time, but it happens often enough that they get sick and they have to isolate and they can't be part of the wider community. They live outside of it. And so it's, it's little wonder why this man comes to Jesus and just falls down in desperation in front of him. If there's anybody in the world, if there's anybody who can and, and can maybe help this man, what about the man who can cast out demons? What about the one who's preaching that the kingdom of God is here? And so this leper comes to Jesus and throws himself at his feet and has this great uh, confession of faith, right? Um, he says what? If you will, you can make me clean. It's not can you make me clean. It's you can make me clean. So would you please do it? This act of faith that Jesus is one who can, can actually heal him of his malady. And thankfully, Jesus responds to this leper's faith with mercy and pity. Notice in our reading, of course, that Jesus doesn't just speak healing words over the man, right? He doesn't say, you're healed. He actually reaches out and touches the leper. That's a big deal, right? Because in these, this clean, unclean context of the ancient world, you're worried about contamination. You're worried about, you're worried about the, the uncleanliness of the leper coming to you. Now, if, if you touch a leper on accident or something, you would need to go and quarantine. You would need to go and separate yourself for a season to make sure, and you would need to go wash up. But Jesus ignores all that. <laughs> he just straight out reaches and touches the leper. It's almost as if the, the opposite happens, that Jesus is this font of cleanliness, this font of goodness and truth and beauty and life. And instead of the, 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 the darkness and the infection coming to reach out for Jesus and infect him, it's like the, the goodness and the healing power of Jesus is contagious, and it flows from Jesus to the unclean man. So the uncleanliness doesn't come to Jesus. Jesus brings the cleanliness to the man. 
It's a remarkable little bit of uh, remarkable detail. Mark concludes that he reaches out to touch him. And on top of that, if this man's been a leper for decades, this may be the first actual bit of physical touch he's felt in years. And all that thing, maybe you've heard of people being touch-starved or affection-starved, where they just haven't been hugged, they haven't been embraced, right? They, they just sort of, you know, they, they haven't been physically welcomed and received any sort of friendly or, or romantic affection. And so Jesus reaches out and touches the man. I've, I've read this, that lepers today, they experience the same thing. Maybe they are from a country like India, where leprosy is, again, this sort of, you know, unclean, get away from me, pariah state. And the, the Western doctors will come in, and they'll, they'll put on gloves, and they'll, they'll work with the lepers. And, and um, this one doctor said they put their hand on a leper's back um, to comfort them, just out of instinct. And the leper broke down crying. And he said, I'm so happy you're healing my body, but I haven't been touched in 20 years. This is the first time I've been touched in 20 years. And I imagine this man is feeling something similar today. Um, so this man isn't just healed because of his health. He's healed fully, uh, physically, relationally, spiritually, emotionally. He can go out and get hugs. He can go, like, kiss his wife. He can go, like, high-five um, his kids. He can shake hands with his business partners. All of that is restored to him alongside his healthy skin. That's the, the grander, overarching nature of a, of a complete healing that Jesus offers this man. But curiously, Jesus has two extra things he wants from this leper. He has two further instructions, doesn't he? He says two things that are kind of linked. He says say nothing to anyone and then he says show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded you um, these are two sides of the same coin let me explain real quick and I'll start with the the, the, the words about Moses we read today in Leviticus 14 um, the procedure for what to do the ritual and the ceremony for what to do when uh, you were exiled from the community because you had a skin condition and it's healed up and you're good, and the priest has inspected you and, and, and declares you're good and welcomes you back in. It involves right, two birds, we sacrifice one, we let the other go. It involves uh, red items like scarlet yarn and cedar wood. It involves washing in, in, in blood, which is this cleansing idea, this cleansing vision in the Old Testament. Um, but, but fundamentally what, what happens is, right? And, and notice the haircuts too, by the way. I mean, down to the eyebrows, like all the hair gone because they want to make sure every single inch of the body has been presented as clean and they want the whole world to know. And then you put on your own clean clothes. So imagine you have the leper, right? The, the, the sort of gnarled, garly hair, garish hair and the, the torn clothes and the dirty and the, the isolation. And you have the leper over here. And then the next day you go, they're completely bald, got rid of their eyebrows even. They're wearing nice clothes again, washed and clean. I mean, what a testimony to the fact that they've been healed and cleansed. Um, you went from like dirty hippie to Mr. Clean like that. That's what happens uh, if you go through this procedure. And, and so there's Leviticus 14. That's, that's actually one part of the larger chapter. If you want to read it on your own, there's actually um, more parts to becoming ritually clean again, involving a pilgrimage to Jerusalem and sacrifices at the temple. But you get the point, right? There is a, there's a ritual that you go through to be reintegrated back into the society which deals with sort of making offerings to God and thanksgiving and also atone, being atoned for and having your sins forgiven. And so there's this big ritual here. And here's the thing. 
if this leper does this ritual, if this leper goes through the ritual, this leper may have the deepest, richest insight of anyone in the whole world about who Jesus is and what his ministry came to do, what his ministry is here for. Okay, F follow me here. If this leper goes and goes through this process of sacrificing the animals and thinking about atonement, and if this leper goes through the process of, of reflecting, and, and again, not everyone goes through this, but if this leper goes through and, and he goes through the process, he's going to see, like the cat in the hat, the stain, it doesn't just go away. There's no sort of divine oxyclean here. The stain just doesn't go away. It gets transferred. It goes from the man who's unclean to the doves. And the doves are um, sacrificed as an offering of atonement. And then the other one's taken out and thrown away as if the, clean, the uncleanness is on the dove and he's released and the dove flies away. And therefore it signifies all the uncleanness leaving the community, right? That's what that's, that ritual symbolizes. And, and, and if, he, if he follows this ritual and sort of submits himself to it, what he's going to realize, perhaps, is that it's going to take more than just this ritual, right, to make things go away. Where did the uncleanness go? Where did the skin condition go? These things don't just disappear on their own. And in fact, to, to emphasize the point here, right, that, that this doesn't have to go, some, that, that there's, not a, an, there's not a cleanliness, but there's a trade happening here. There's a trade happening. The end of our reading presents us with this very powerful image because it says the man has been cleaned and he can go and be with his friends and his community again. But it says now Jesus can't enter towns anymore. Did you notice that? He's got to stay on the outskirts of town to teach and to preach. It's almost as if what Mark wants us to see is that Jesus went from town to town preaching and teaching, but, and then after the situation, you have this sort of beautiful poetic reversal where the outcast is now in the town, and then the person in the town is now, he, he can't enter in anymore. What the leper may end up seeing, what he could maybe potentially see in our reading, is the great exchange that took place between him and Jesus. If he goes through the law of Moses and makes the pride offerings, he will see that Christ himself will become the atonement, um, that he will die so that the man might live, um, that Christ himself will be exiled and rejected from the community. When we think about Jesus' crucifixion, we think of Golgotha, the place where he was crucified. It was basically a garbage dump. It was outside the city. It was a place where um, people traveled by, but it was not a place to stay. And that's where Christ died, an exile from his own city of Jerusalem. Or the leper could do the exact opposite. He could not do the rituals commanded by the law of Moses. He could walk away. He could blab and tell everybody that he knows. And people could uh, swarm Jesus and make his ministry that much harder to accomplish, which is what happened here in our reading. Whether the man goes through the rituals, we do not know, but we do know that he did not listen to Jesus when he said, please don't tell anyone about this, just quietly do your thing. And he does not care, he does not listen. And the result is that Jesus' ministry is made harder. He can't go into town. People have to follow him out into the countryside. At one point later on in the gospel, we'll see that there's so many people trying to hear him, he has to get out onto a boat and go out into a lake. And the people sit on the shore so that he has like breathing room to be able to preach. And he's shouting and preaching from a boat because the crowds are pressing in on him too much. 
And that's where our reading ends. And so let's return briefly to the cat in the hat, because here's how the great pink stain is removed. Spoiler alert for you, it's tremendously unsatisfying. This is why it is not a good book. (laughs) Well, in the process of trying to get rid of the stain, the cat in the hat has backup. He calls in 25 other cats to help him. Cat A, cat B, cat C, D, E, F, all the way down to cat Y. And they all try different things and they're all trying to make the stain go away and it's not working. But then cat Z comes and the cat in the hat says, ah, cat Z, he will surely make this stain go away. And the kids will say, how? And he says, cat Z has a vroom. And this is Dr. Seuss and we're like, what's a vroom? And the kids are like, what, what's a vroom? And the cat in the hat says, well, a vroom is a thing that will make the stain go away. And then you turn the page in the book, and it's so unsatisfying. Dr. Seuss just illustrates a whirlwind. He just illustrates this whirlwind with the big letters, like vroom, written over it. And that is the vroom. And then you turn the next page, and the cat is there, and the stain is gone. And the cat says, that was fun. I'll come back by and play again another day. Have a good one. And he leaves. I know, right? Like, what happened? What is the vroom? How does the vroom work? It's just like he hand-waved it all. The stain is gone because of a vroom. But a vroom's not even a real thing. It's so completely unsatisfying because we know that, that we can't just sort of hand-wave this stuff and make it disappear. It's tremendously anticlimactic. But yet, don't we all wish there was some sort of, like, great vroom that could make the ills and evils and uncleanliness of this world go away? Don't we wish there was some great hand-waving that the heavens could do that would make our, our mistakes and our failures, um, all the things that keep us up at night, like, don't we just wish there could be a vroom to make it go away? And the Bible tells us that, that one way or another, um, it's got to be transferred. Um, we're not talking about OxyClean. We're not talking about anything like that. We're talking about transfer. We're not talking about like the one shirt that you ate while there was barbecue, you were eating barbecue ribs, you got a big grease stain on it. We're talking about the, the great soul of humanity and all the ways that we've stained and marred God's creation. And it would be so great just to, to open up a room and make it all nice again, but the heavens know this, that that's not just or fair. There's gotta be a better and different way. A little cultural whiplash to go from Dr. Seuss to Shakespeare, but I'm reminded of the great haunting uh, scene of Macbeth in Act 5, where Lady Macbeth is scrubbing her hands vigorously in a water bowl. Do you remember this scene at all, for those of you Shakespeare types? And she's scribbling, and she's scrubbing her hands, and, and the whole book, her, like Lady Macbeth and, and her husband, who's now king, they've been plotting and scheming their way to, to, to enter into, become king of Scotland, and, and they're sitting there, and they're, 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 they've had a lot of people they've had to kill to make it happen, and so you know that phrase, there's blood on their hands. Well, Lady Macbeth looks down, and she sees blood on her hands, and she's trying to wipe it, and the blood's not coming off. And she says, out spot, and she's scrubbing her hands. And we, from a third party, we don't see any blood. But for her, as someone who's sort of dealing with the guilt and the hardship of what she's done and the, and the shame, and, and spirits have come back to haunt them and to tell them that the, the heavens know their dirty deeds, and she's sitting there trying to wash her hands, it's a hallucination. Right? She, it's not coming out. She knows she needs something beyond soap and water to get the blood off of her hands. Just like we need something beyond soap and water to 
clean up how in our own ways we have stained the fabric of the universe. There's no room here for Lady Macbeth, we might say. Um, and so up until this point, right, Dr. Seuss has it right. The stain is transferred. So what do we need to do with it instead? Well, um, it seems in our reading, if you stop reading right now, that Christ may be that great room, that he might make things just magically disappear. But by the end of the gospel, we'll realize that he takes the great stains of the world upon himself. And just like those doves in the ritual, he is sent out and sent away with all of the stains of humanity, and he is sacrificed on their behalf. Um, this is what our reading in Hebrews is about today, right? It, there's no magic with the doves and the, uh, the, the animal sacrifices of the Old Testament. There's no sort of special ritual magic happening there. Um, what the author of Hebrews says is that it's all put on Jesus, and he becomes the avenue, gladly and willingly, by which all of the things of the world are dealt with, not roomed away with a magic hand wave, but atoned for by the blood of an innocent. But again, as we go through Mark's gospel, I don't want us to get ahead of ourselves. I don't want to spoil the ending for you. But it's enough for now to look at Jesus and his ministry and, and look at it as one where the dirty becomes clean. The outcasts are welcomed, the pariahs are pardoned. And thankfully for us, the moratorium from Jesus demanding that we keep silent, it's been lifted. And we'll talk about that later on in Mark's gospel. And no wonder it's good news then and why it remains good news today. Because those of us who feel far from God because of something we've done in our past, or even just the present for that matter, for those of us who feel separate from heaven because something we have, of something we affirm or believe, we don't need to feel that way anymore. Because we find that Jesus, in Jesus, the great kingdom of unconditional love uh, is for us. That Christ reaches out to touch us and give us his goodness, regardless of our sickness or stain or sin. In Jesus' name, amen. Epiphany Anglican Fellowship in Ligonier, Pennsylvania.